the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, everybody. Ron Geyer, End Time Insights, back again. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I know we've been teaching out of the book of Revelation. We went through Revelation 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I want to take a break here because this has been on my heart for a while. I guess at some point we'll come back to Revelation. In our Bible study we're teaching, we're up to Revelation 9, and I'm telling you the judgments of God are brutal. And yet even in the midst of those judgments it says, an evil man, wicked man, repented not of his evil works, his sorceries, his murders. Amazing stuff, amazing stuff. But God is long-suffering. The long-suffering of God is salvation. He's not willing that any should perish. Hallelujah. But I did want to talk about this. It's called God is Sovereign, Part 1. And there seems to be a debate going on within the church, especially in the the particular group that I'd been associated with, the Word of Faith movement, about the sovereignty of God. They've got these weird ideas that they think that God is sovereign in heaven, but because he gave power and authority to man, God is no longer sovereign in the earth. And I tell you, it takes some boldness to go ahead and say that. I'm not going to be sitting next to you or standing next to you when you're talking like that. No, thank you. But I want to make a biblical case why God is sovereign. And I want to look at it from two points of view. You know, uh, there had been this issue. How could a sovereign God give free will to man? They think that that's a contradiction. And I know the church in prior times has gone round and round about that, but We'll show you that a sovereign God can, uh, what's the word, coexist with a man uh, that he is given free will to. So let's get started. As we continue living in the pre-rapture, pre-tribulation period of the last days, preceding the return of our sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, it's important that we, as the church, defend the church by defending Bible truths, defending ourselves against the deception and the lies, even if they come from within, even if they come from good-hearted people within the church, even if it comes from pastors or evangelists or leading preachers, and they start promoting the fact that God is not sovereign in the earth. I I tell you, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out how they come up with these things, how to understand this false teaching mainly being promoted by people in my sphere, my group, the Word of Faith folks, that that God is only sovereign in heaven and he is not sovereign in the earth. I can't believe that I even have to talk about this. It's just so so out of the norm. But, you know, that's what the last days of apostasy is. 
What's that, Ron? Apostasy, it's the falling away from the truth. Uh, not just Bible truth, and it's not an apostasy only limited to the church. It's an apostasy worldwide where we fall away. We deny truths that have been accepted forever. A, man is man and woman is woman. I mean, that's obvious now. That's being questioned. You've got to have a depraved mind. You've got to have a reprobate soul to go ahead and start promoting doctrines like that. Marriage. Marriage has always been between a man and a woman. Now we're making it legal for men to marry men. These are the truths that we're falling away from in the last days. And by the way, that word last days, it's eschatos hemeros in the Greek. And it's found, this particular one is found in Second Timothy 3 when Paul's writing to Timothy. And he's saying, in the last days, perilous times, times of great risk will come. But the phrase there, last days, is eschatos matters, And it literally means the last of the last. We've been in the last days since the resurrection. That's how Paul labeled them. But when Paul is writing to Timothy, it's the last of the last. It's like man has been walking this earth for 6,000 years. And the very next step he takes puts us into another dimension, to another age, another era. Man's foot is already in the air. It's poised to come down. When that foot lands, that's how close we are. That's what this is trying to say. We will enter into a new age. And so here we are, the last days, and these truths that have been known to be true for decades, for centuries, uh, they're being challenged now. They're being not only challenged, they're being overturned. God is sovereign is one of those truths and is taking place in the church. I can get the world challenging that, but how on earth do we deny that in our churches? What are we thinking of? Well, I know what we're thinking of. We're carnal. In addition to that demonic doctrine, which it promotes and creates lies within the church about the church, you know, there's the judging and the Lord sending judgments uh, on the face of the earth, and all of these are tied together so that we're going to expand this teaching to include some lesser-known truths about them, about judgment and how this affects the earth and the sovereignty of God. You know, if you believe that God is not sovereign in the earth, then you deny his right to send judgments on us when he wants to rebuke us, chastise us, correct us, or punish us. If you believe that, you deny God that power. And it's so crazy because here we are sitting in the midst of the greatest judgments that the earth has ever seen on a global scale. And you really have to bend your brain to deny God's sovereignty in the earth. Now, interesting enough, nowhere in the King James Bible is the word sovereign used. Yet most other translations, they use it often. And it's my understanding when the Bible refers to God or Jesus's lordship, it is often meant as an alternative to saying God is sovereign. I know the New King James mentions it a half a dozen times, something like that. Webster, sovereign. Sovereign means one possessing or held to possess supreme political power. Now, that's in a worldly sense. In a spiritual sense, we could move that over into the realm of the spirit and make it seem one possessing or held to possess supreme spiritual power or all power. The debate over the sovereignty of God is not a new one. It's an old one. In times past, the question was whether man could still be a free will being if God was sovereign. Or how could man live as a free moral agent while serving a sovereign God who rules over everything? Doesn't that kind of limit man's ability to choose freely? Well, let's start at the beginning. As in all things, the beginning always starts with the Word. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Anytime 
I have a Bible point to make or there is a Bible point to make, a discussion to be had, a debate about live wisdom or counsel or understanding is needed, we always start with the Word of God. And what does the Word of God say about God being sovereign? Well, let's go to Psalm, Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. (laughs) That's pretty basic to me, you know. My dad in my house was sovereign. He did whatever he pleases. Well, God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. But that doesn't address the fact that they're saying, well, of course, he can do it. He's in heaven. He can do anything he wants in heaven. Our point, they would say, is that he can't do anything he wants in the earth. Well, let's go to Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. I mean, that should be enough right there to end any discussion. That should stop it right there. But, you know, these people, they're just so obstinate. They're so arrogant. They're full of pride. They're carnal. And they use their human reasoning. I had a discussion with a friend, and uh, he was telling me that, well, you know, uh, he was making the point that God is not sovereign in the earth. And he couldn't understand how events such as 9-11 or Hurricane Katrina or homosexuality or AIDS, he goes, well, I don't see how God could do that. He's a loving God. Now, first, understand the church has counterfeited the love of God. We don't understand the love of God. We've removed judgment from the uh, love of God. We've removed chastisement and rebuke from the love of God. And we painted a love that's sloppy agape. It's got very little truth to it. There's no accountability in it. And so I can understand when you wonder how God at 9-11, well, I can't see God killing 3,000 innocent people. Well, first, we don't know if they were innocent or not, which is a moot point, though, because God, he's God. He can do anything he needs to do to get our attention. And that's what it was. 9-11 was a call to repentance to America. We have been killing babies by the millions for a couple of decades now. And God says, this has got to stop. And we went back to church for a couple of weeks, and that was nice, a couple of months maybe. But we forgot all about it. The church did not drive home the need to repentance. The church would not acknowledge that that was God that could do that. We were intimidated by the devil. We were intimidated by man's carnal uh, thinking. We were intimidated by the fact that the church had remade God over into a God that doesn't hold people accountable in this time. And so we didn't bother to preach. We didn't bother to call the nation to repentance. And what happened? Nothing. Not at all. We went through that. 3,000 people died. And we go back to killing the children. We go back to murdering our children in the womb. We're just a sick, sick society. So Psalm 135, 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in the earth. These two scriptures alone set the tone for understanding the limits or the lack of limits to God's power. Basically, let me say this. There are no limits to the power of God. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. I think, by the way, this is my favorite scripture in the entire Bible. This is where John tells you how to get eternal life. I mean, what could be more important? A million dollars? A beamer? Divine health? What could be more important than living forever? John seventeen three. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The only true God. And that pretty much eliminates anybody else. Because let's look at what Webster has to say about God, the name of God. God, the perfect and all-powerful spirit or being that is worshipped, especially by Christians, Jews, and Muslims as the one who created and rules the universe. Well, yes, Christians, yes, Jews, no Muslims. They worship Allah. He is not the same God that we worship. But Webster has it right. All-powerful. 
Now, if Webster can know that, why can't the church know that? That's what I mean when I talk about the apostasy. These truths that we've held dear for centuries, they're under assault. They should be defended by the church, not challenged by the church. What is wrong with us? Okay, I don't think anyone outside of perhaps a misguided atheist would oppose that specific truth, that God is all-powerful. The problem, though, was that the people were saying, well, if God is sovereign, then maybe man truly isn't a free moral agent. Yet based on the fact that we have that ability to make our own decisions, thousands of them actually each day we choose what to eat, what to wear, where to go, when to sleep, when to talk, when to think, when to shut up, when not to, when to do, when to run, when to walk. I mean, millions probably decisions are made in our minds, in our hearts throughout each and every day, every week. And yet, even the decision we make whether to serve God or not, whether to believe God or not, whether to accept his Messiah or not, God allows us the free will to decide all of those things. That's my free will, friends. I can, to me, to be on the radio, I chose that. God may have steered me here. He maybe has brought events to pass where it was an open door for me. But at the end of the day, I did not have to walk through that. He lets us choose where we'll spend eternity. He doesn't force us to do anything. You know, yet the free will given man allows him to disobey even God's most holiest of institutions. Marriage is a holy institution. You know, the Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it and turns it as the rivers flow. He still doesn't usurp the authority of the office of the king. He just directs him in a certain direction, but he doesn't force him to do that. Let's, well, we'll get to Pharaoh in a minute, okay? I don't see how the fact, though, that the Bible says that God uh, steers the king's hearts in a certain direction violates his free will. That's the point I'm trying to make. Streams flowing and rivers running. God can bring influence to bear in any way or any form through anything that he wishes to, but he still allows man to make the final decision. He can direct it or sway it where he wills, but that's covered by the power of the office. Like, for instance, America, you've got the office of the president, and uh, currently it's filled by a man who while thinking he is a Christian, that may be just for show. It's filled by a man who hates life. He hates Christians. He hates babies. He loves murder. He loves deceit. He loves power. He loves money. He lives by deception. So even though the Bible says the powers that be are ordained by God, he designed them. The Bible says that the lawgivers, the judges, the uh, ministers of justice were there to minister punishment to the evildoers. We still can disobey him while we're in those offices, as witnessed by President Obama, as witnessed by uh, President, what's his name, Biden. You know, that we, even President Trump, I believe President Trump disobeyed God concerning Israel, concerning the Abraham Accord. By and large, President Trump was a tremendous president, a great president. I believe it's that aspect of Trump's disobedience that actually cost him the election. Because you cannot mess with God's plan for Israel. You just can't do it. But look, just like God deals with the hearts of kings and those in offices of positions and power, uh, and even in marriage, the institution of marriage is holy, the Bible says. It's a holy institution. And yet we have (laughs) 
through our own sin, through our own free will, through our own evil influence, we have violated, we have destroyed the holiness in marriage. We've allowed men and men to get married. Now we fornicate outside of the marriage relationship. The marriage bed is no longer holy. The Bible says it's holy, but what we've done there is an abomination. So even though there are things that God sets up as holy, even though there are things that God sets up for his use, institutions such as offices, political offices, offices of power, we still bring our own uh, free will into those, and we violate the holiness of those institutions. Our lives are influenced by outside powers every day. For instance, if it's raining, then I'm not going to play golf perhaps that day. If someone is going to be somewhere and I don't like that person, I may not go to that event. I may be influenced if I feel sick, uh, if I don't feel strong. I may not go, go jogging that day. That may change my plans for the day. It would be further arrogance of man not to allow God that place of influence as well. We allow weather, we allow emotions, we allow money, we allow friendships, we allow fears, all that stuff to influence us. Why would we not allow God that same opportunity? That doesn't mean the weather is in control of my will. It doesn't mean man no longer is free will because he's going to respond to the weather And no longer does it mean that man is no longer a creature of free will because we receive the influence of God. As a child of God, I allow his Holy Spirit. I need his Holy Spirit. I ask for, I beg for his Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me in the way that I should go. God said if I would pray that prayer, he would make sure that I would be led by his Spirit. The children of God are led by the Spirit of God. He's got a plan in place for us to receive both ungodly influences and godly influences, but at the end of the day, it is still Ron who decides what he's going to choose. Man in his existence is subject to all sorts of external influences that bring pressure upon us to act one way or another. God gets the same consideration, or he should. We need to give him that same condition, that that same opportunity. Ideally, we allow him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, and the decisions that we make are for the good of mankind and the good of ourselves. But man can still choose to obey or to refuse to obey. So the sovereign God, in an act of divine sovereignty, created mankind in his own image, and he lets us do, just as the scriptures say about God, just whatever we please. If it's good enough to God, it's good enough for us. If God says, I'm going to do whatever I please, I'm going to create you in my own image, well, then guess what? I will allow you to do whatever you please. Let's look at Pharaoh. This is fascinating. And you know, people use that all the time. Well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God didn't allow Pharaoh to make his own decisions. Well, let's check that. Exodus 8.15, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exodus 8.32, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exodus 9.34, Pharaoh hardened his heart. I gave you three. There's actually six examples in the Old Testament where Pharaoh hardened his own heart against the will of God. Uh, Somebody wrote this. I forgot to write their name down, but they said the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Here, for the first time, it is said that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Previously, God announced that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. That was in Exodus 4.21 and Exodus 7.3. And this was the fulfillment of it. Yet it is said at least six times before this that Pharaoh had hardened his own heart. So we see that God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart was the strengthening of what Pharaoh had already set himself to do. Do you understand that? 
Pharaoh was already choosing to persecute the Jews. He was already headed down that road where he was going to disobey God and uh, put pressure on the Jew and basically abuse them and increase their labors. And so he had hardened his heart to do that. The moral would be, Cole writes this, the moral would be that God hardens those who harden themselves. God never would have hardened Pharaoh's heart if Pharaoh hadn't already said, this is what I'm going to do. You understand that? God didn't change the direction of Pharaoh. He just walked with him in doing what he wanted to do. Harden is the expression, not of the divine purpose, but the result of disobedience to the divine appeals. As a matter of fact, all the plagues were intended and calculated to soften the blows that Egypt took if Pharaoh was only willing to yield. But Pharaoh hardened his heart, and God said, well, he's a free will. I can't fight that. So he just continued on with hardening Pharaoh's heart. So we see here that God hardening Pharaoh's heart wasn't in opposition to Pharaoh's desires at all, but in working with them. Do you understand that? For years, people say that, well, God contradicted Pharaoh's will. Not at all. God fulfilled Pharaoh's will. You got to understand that. Okay, so God hardening Pharaoh's heart was not in opposition to Pharaoh's desires, but it was in working with Pharaoh's desires. Man's free will here was not compromised. Neither did it violate the sovereignty of God. So, you know, if we will get in God's word, we will see how plainly God's sovereign will includes free will for man. Did you get that? God's sovereign will on the earth for mankind is that he have a free will of his own. There's no contradiction. There's not one favoring one way or the other. God's perfect wisdom, his divine plan, allows for man to live independently of him if he so chooses. And that is why the earth is in such a mess, because man has chosen to live independently of God. If God had not allowed man his own say in things, and then we know that God is a God of love, God is a God of truth, God is a God of healing, God is a God of peace, God is a God of righteousness and joy, we know that this earth would look totally different. The fact that this earth is in a mess is the evidence that God allows man his free will. But the bigger issue, and we'll really hone in on this when we come back next week, the bigger issue about the sovereignty of God that faces the church today is it comes from the Word of Faith crowd, which proposes that God gave this earth over to man, and man alone is responsible for what takes place in the earth. Man goes so far as to say God cannot act in the earth unless man either asks him in prayer to act, decrees it on his own, or confesses his will, man's will, and desires into existence. We believe that's the powers that are controlling the earth today, and that's totally false. They say God has given this earth to man, and he alone, man, has authority to act in it. Well, if you go back to Genesis one twenty-eight through 130, we can see what God said about giving the earth to man. Uh, God gave man specific commands, okay, in the earth. Uh, number one, he told him to multiply. He told him to replenish. He told him to subdue, and he told him to have dominion over all living creatures. Now, I don't see how you get that God gave total authority over the earth to mankind. That's not what that says at all. It says in four specific areas. Number one, I want you to multiply. I want you to be fruitful and replenish the earth. The earth had just been restored, Satan's flood. We'll come back to that. But then God said, I want you to go ahead and I want you to multiply, freely reproduce. 
So he gave them the ability to do that. You don't need authority to do that. You need ability to do that. Then he told them, I want you to replenish. I want you to go ahead and subdue. And I want you to have dominion over the living creatures. So God has assignments for us in the earth today. But understand, he gave us his power and his authority representing him as being created in his image to subdue and have dominion over the creatures of the earth. Okay, I get that. That's pretty simple. But at no point did he give away his power to have dominion and to subdue the creatures in the earth. He gave man of his power. He didn't give man his power. There's a difference. He still retained his ability to do that while letting man do that in his stead. All of these things God gave of himself, but at no time did God divest himself of his own power. He gave of his power, but man is still always and always will be subject to God. It's the height of arrogance. It's the height of pride. It contributes to the fall of mankind. It contributes to a powerless church. It contributes to a church that thinks that we don't need to hear from the Spirit of God because we figured it out on our own, and we will take it and run with it, just like we did with the God wanting us to prosper message. We've run it. We put it in the ditch, just like we did with the grace message. We created grace, reinvented grace that isn't Bible grace, and we're paying the penalty for it now. We'll be back next week. We love you guys. Thank you for listening. I'm Ron Guy with End Time Insights. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.